What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It's good to see you guys out this morning. Thank you for tuning online. Let me go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Trent Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church here in Jackson, Missouri. We are currently located at 381 West Deerwood Drive in Jackson. We just pray and ask, invite you to come on out next time. If you're watching online, if you're able, come on out. Now, if you're home and you're bedridden, we understand. It's fine. Watch online. But if you're able, we want to invite you to come and be a part of what God is doing in Jackson, Missouri. Thank you guys that are here this morning. We've got a lot of people out sick this morning, so we're praying for healing this morning. Is in the house, I believe. So we're going to be praying and that God is going to be bringing everyone back safely next week. But, uh... This morning, we're getting ready to wrap up this series that we started about four weeks ago now, and it was called The Perfect Gift. And remember, we wanted to focus things on the Messiah, this Messiah that was to come. So our key passage actually focuses on the first point in Scripture when God gives us a prophecy or a promise of the one to come, a redemption plan, so to speak, because man had fallen away from that relationship with God that they had. Now our key passage, we're going to go ahead and read it, then we'll talk a little bit about what we've been talking about. Genesis 3, chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I just ask right now that you begin to speak your words through me, Lord, on this microphone, that they wouldn't be my own, God. That those listening, whether they're here or online, Lord, will be touched by something you say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last several weeks, we have talked about this journey, kind of, and the Christian walk, this journey from one man being promised. The first week, we talked about Abraham and how he was promised that he would be a father of many nations. And that God had promised that to him, but he never got to see that promise come to pass. But he had enough faith to believe that God would fulfill that promise. The next week, we talked about David. And he's another one that never got to see that promise fulfilled, but God promised him because, you know, David had found favor with God. Because of this, I'm going to send someone through your bloodline whose reign will never end. His kingdom shall never end. And we know that in one aspect, when he was talking about building a temple, he was talking about Solomon. But in the other aspect, he was actually speaking of a future Messiah that would come. And God said, I promise you this, that my favor will not leave him like it left Saul before you. But it's going to stay with him forever and all eternity. And we know later from the New Testament that that person was Jesus. Well, the third week, we took a look at the life of Elizabeth and how she had been promised a son and she was barren. She kind of had a similar story to Abraham. She was one of those, or Abraham and Sarah, I should say, one of those that was, that was barren, couldn't have a baby. She was later in life. She was older, well advanced in years. 
Doesn't really tell us how old she was, but she was beyond that age, and she had a son who was John, who ended up becoming John the Baptist, or the baptizer, as you see in Scripture, the one that came, the forerunner to Jesus. And then last week, we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how God had promised her. So we went from, and we're going to tie all this up today. As I was writing this, I was watching, okay, God, so you're tying all this up again. The first two weeks, we talked about the great, uh, the great commandment, which is what we talked about. We talked about the first week, we talked about worship. The second week, we talked about ministry. And this week, we're going to be wrapping up the Great Commission. So the third week, we spoke. I need to actually look at my notes here. Third week, we spoke about evangelism. And that's when we looked at Elizabeth. And we talked about, remember I said I was passionate, that it takes place out there. If we're not telling them about Jesus, then they're not going to know about Jesus. They're not going to know about this blessed hope. And we're going to look a little bit more into that today. The last week, we talked about fellowship and how the importance of fellowship and coming together as a unit is the only way that we're going to push forward with what God has planned for this generation. There's too much division and fighting in the church amongst itself, and that's what people are seeing, so that kind of pushes them away from the church. So we need to come together, if you're a church out there listening or if you're here, we need to come together and work as a unit to see God's will come to pass. Today we're going to wrap the whole thing up with that Messiah that had been promised all those years ago with Jesus himself. And we're going to talk a little bit about discipleship and the importance of discipleship. So we're going to be finishing up the Great Commission. Let me go ahead and read the Great Commission before we get into uh, today's word. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've taken a look at verse 19, which is where we got our evangelism and we got our ministry and making disciples and all that. This week, we're going to wrap it up with verse 20, where it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And that's, that's Matthew kind of putting an amen there at the end of the book. But it's, Jesus has promised them that if you do all this, I'm going to be with you. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I heard one man say that, you know, the Bible tells us he was scared of heights. Y'all understand. He says right there in the Bible, lo, I am with you always. So that was his excuse for not getting up the ladder that day. But anyway, okay, just a little bit of humor. I know that's church humor, so it's a little corny. I'm sorry. Moving on. Today we're going to talk about discipleship, which is where we come to that part of teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then Jesus promises he's going to be with us until the end of the age. So I went ahead and Google the word disciple. What is a disciple? For those of us that are looking for a definition, according to Google, the, one of the first things that popped up, it says a disciple is a follower or a student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. Jesus was kind of all those things, wasn't he? Yet Jesus was still God in the flesh. We're going to talk more about that today. So a follower or a student of the teacher, leader, or philosopher. So what makes that a person, a disciple? It says they're a student or a follower. And we think of a student nowadays. 
We think someone that's studying, someone that's in college, things like that, right? So it applies the same in the church. Once you get saved, once you get baptized, once you become a part of a fellowship, all of those things happen, then we need to be able to teach you and help you study as a student of God's word. So, and the only way that you're ever going to grow or go anywhere as a Christian is a student, being a student, making yourself a student of God's word. A lot of people want to stand around, they don't read their Bibles, they don't pray, they don't build on the relationship with God at all, but they ask, well, where's God? Why is God? Why don't I ever hear from God? Well, first of all, it begins with you. You've got to be able to take a step and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become a student. One thing we encourage if you go through growth track, and those that have been through know this, is that you need to set aside, set aside a particular time of day, whether that's morning, evening, lunchtime, whatever it is, whatever works for your schedule, to be with God. Because if you don't put it in your planner, then it's not going to happen. Life, life just kind of goes on. So you need to kind of know what time of day you're going to set that time. And it has to be planned in advance. Whenever you plan to go anywhere, whenever you plan to do something with your family or anything else, you plan that stuff ahead. And this works the same with God. So you've got to actually be planning. The word we're going to start, and actually the word disciple, I want to go ahead and throw this out. This stems from an old Latin word, which actually means learner. Someone that learns. And I know we kind of hit on all that here just for a second, so I'm not going to go back into that. But it descends from an old Latin word, and it, it means learner. So you're going to be disciple of Jesus. You've got to be a learner. So let's, talk, let's look at Jesus today. Let's look at how he called his disciples, some of the stuff that happened. We're going to be in John chapter 1, for those of you who follow me in your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to read through verse 39 at first and just see where we go with this. It says, again the next day, John stood with the two of his disciples. Looking at Jesus. Now, this is the day after Jesus was baptized. That's what's taking place before this. Jesus has been baptized. So the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39 says, He said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. So the first thing, if you're taking notes out there, if you've got your note sheets, is that discipleship begins with seeking. <clears throat> in order to be a disciple of anything, whether it's a disciple learning to do something in college for a career you're trying to plan for, or being a disciple of Christ, which is what we're talking here, it begins by you seeking to become that disciple. Now, here's the cool part. I said all the, today's message was going to wrap up the entire series. So if you think about seeking, when we're seeking after God, what is it we're doing? We're worshiping. Remember the first week we talked about worship and Abraham. So to become a disciple, we've got to learn to seek. Matthew 6 Verses 31 to 34 says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But here it is, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day, 
is its own trouble. In other words, each day has enough of its own worry and enough of its own trouble. Don't be worried about what's going to happen next week. I know we tend to do that. I do it myself. We look to next week and something we know is getting ready to come, whether it's a bill or something's going to get paid or whatever it is. And we look there and we say, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And we start to worry. And it starts to, we start to lose our focus. We start to focus on that instead of what we need to. So what Jesus says is, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. All the heathens and the Gentiles worry about this stuff. But he says, seek First, the kingdom of God, and what's he say? And his righteousness. Remember, we talked last month in November about what righteousness was, which is meeting God's standard. Seek first his righteousness or God's standard, and all these things shall be added to you. So what we got to do is we got to be seeking. And in order to seek God, that's when we enter into a worship mode or where we worship God. We seek him. Some of you have had those moments at home where you've been praying or maybe God wakes you up in the middle of the night and he tells you something. So you wake up and you begin to pray or you begin to take notes or whatever it is. And you're there. You're worshiping. You're trying to hear. What are we doing? So you're seeking what God is trying to tell you. Moving on. John chapter 1 verse 40 and 41 says one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 41 says he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Point number two in your notes. Discipleship creates evangelism. What was Andrew doing here? He went and told his brother first. They were getting ready to tell a whole bunch of people. But they went, he went and told his brother first. He said, come on, come on. We found him. We found the guy that we've been looking for all these years, the Messiah. Now, I'm sure if someone came running up to you when you were doing your daily routine, and said, hey, I found him. We found the Messiah. Now, we know now that you know, Jesus has been the Messiah. He's already came. But if you were in their shoes, and you're working, because more than likely Peter was working, he came and found him. We found him. Now, remember, they didn't have the New Testament to look back on. So they kind of which went on each other's word. So Peter, Peter's going to come in a second. But discipleship creates evangelism. Romans 10 13 and 14, you're going to hear me read out the Living Bible translation a few times today because I like the way it words some of these things. But Romans 10, 13 and 14 says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We looked about this, looked at this when we talked about evangelism. But verse 14 says, but how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him? Unless someone tells us. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. We've got to be the ones. That's us. He's talking to us. Someone's got to be able to go out and tell others about what Jesus has done. That's evangelism. So when you become a disciple of Jesus and you begin to want to seek after him, it's going to lead you to evangelize. Some of you remember the day you got saved. All those years ago, or maybe it hasn't been that long ago. All you wanted to do was tell everybody you knew. What God had done for you, and people probably looked at you strange like you were crazy. Maybe you had some people, or maybe older people looking down and saying, hey, calm down, calm down. But really, we shouldn't be doing that. As Christians, we should be letting that flyer go. Because what's going to happen is that's going to build, and what's going to happen is they're going to be able to make a difference in this world. So we shouldn't be, and I pray that nobody in Next Level Freedom Church don't make yourself a firefighter spiritually. I'm not talking about, because we've got some firefighters that are around us, but firefighters spiritually, don't be putting out fires. Help them ignite that flame and make it go further. John 1.42 says, and he brought him to Jesus. 
Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Caiaphas, which is translated a stone or a rock. Some of you know that Peter's name actually meant rock or stone. So what is Jesus doing to Peter here? Discipleship creates fellowship. What Jesus is doing is he's giving him a new name. He's inviting him into the fellowship. So Jesus invites Peter to become a part of everything God is doing. Now check this out. 1 Corinthians 9.22. When I am with those whose consciences bother them easily, I don't act as though I know it all and don't say they are foolish. The result is that they are willing to let me help them. Whatever, yes, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. We've looked at this scripture before. If you've been here for a amount of time, the next level freedom church is the fact that what Paul's getting at here is he's saying, don't approach them with what they're doing the wrong first. That's a bad place to start. All you're going to do is create a boundary or a wall. And they're not going to listen to anything you say after that. That's why I encourage you. Get to know them first. Become their friend. Remember the saying that we went over several times? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So what do you care about my situation? How can God help my situation? Good thing is just to start and be their friend. What Paul's saying there, I don't act like I know it all. How many of y'all know people like that? I know some Christians like that. They'll be the first to walk up to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and start telling them all this theology. And really, they're just trying to make their own, how I say this nicely, they're trying to make their own intelligence look like some sort of importance or something. And they're, they're making that, they're really what they're doing is they're beating that person down because they don't understand all that stuff. When you go to pray, how many of y'all go using all these theological words? How many of y'all ever, when you truly pray, you get to a point in your life to where there's nowhere else to turn. And sadly, most of us wait until it gets to that point before we look up to God and say, God, help me with this. How many of y'all have ever gotten to that point to where you just look up and say, oh, God, help me. You don't try to use deep theology when you're praying. If God's wanting you to be, you, he's, you're wanting God to do something in your life, you approach him as a father. How does my kid, my daughter, now, sometimes she tries to use words. Y'all got kids, you know how to use words that really don't belong in that sentence just to try to sound smarter. But, but that's just being a kid. But the, the kids, your kids, if you're a parent out there, they don't come to you with some deep theological thing. They've got a problem. Like, let's use my son as an example. A toy breaks. All I get is a sad puppy dog eyes. And they hold the toy up. Y'all been there? Daddy, fix it. Now, here's the sad part when you can't fix it. But most of the time, the little things he breaks, he can just snap it back together and it's fine. And suddenly you're a hero, right? So it kind of works the same way with people. When you relate to them, you got to relate to them on their level. If I'm talking to a two-year-old about a toy, I don't say, well, son, it's not broke, you big dummy. Let's put this on. No, we don't say that. We just take it from our son. And we say, well, let me see what I can do with it. I think I can fix it. And you snap it together. You talk to them on their level. All right, so that's what Paul's getting at. Let's move on. John chapter 1, verses 43 to 46 says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Here's a guy who's walking by and just says, Follow me. All right, and we've kind of looked at that a little before, but verse 44 says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathaniel. 
So Philip, he doesn't really give much there. He just said, well, I guess Philip followed him. So then he goes and finds this guy named Nathaniel, and he said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46 says, and Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what's Philip saying? Come and see. So the fourth point there in your notes is that discipleship creates opportunities for ministry. Y'all noticing the topics from all the past weeks we our time together with today. And this last one, we're going to get into something really important. But let's just read. Okay, so it's going to create an opportunity. So Philip says, come and see. Now, that would be a perfect place, right? When somebody, you go to tell somebody about Jesus, and they say, well, can anything good come out of, in my case, Donville, Illinois, or wherever you're from? And you say, well, come and see. So if they're curious, they're going to move. If they're not He's going to take a little more time. Matthew 25, 34 to 40 says, And then the king will say to those in, on his right hand. Remember, we're talking about ministry. Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me a food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37 says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it for one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. Some of y'all have heard that scripture. I don't know that we've looked at it here yet. But what's he saying? Anytime you perform a good act or a good deed for somebody else, you're doing it as you're doing it for God. Christians got that special thing inside of them. A lot of people have got it in them, even if they're not born again. There's that portion that wants to give, so you'll see them out there giving. Maybe they don't know Jesus, but they're giving. But Christians, when we get to who we're giving to those people, there's just something. Y'all ever done that? It's something that goes on inside of you. And it makes you feel pretty good, right? But we, how many of y'all ever thought about this? Well, I'm giving it to this person, but I'm actually giving it to God. You ever think about that? I'm going to be honest. I had When I did it, I just did it. I was just trying to be good. But scripture tells us if you're doing this for the least of any of these people, God says you're doing it for me. And he says, thank you. John 13, 35, we won't look at it long, but here's what it says. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that is ministry. And that's what we hit on in ministry. John 1, we're going to get ready to wrap this thing up and get to our final point. John 1, 47 to 51 says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming. Now, this is the last guy that we just talked about. Philip's told him, and now he's coming. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Here he comes. Jesus sees him coming. He said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Verse 49 says, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, most assuredly, 
I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Before we hit our last point, did y'all notice what happened to Nathaniel there? That's the part that stood out the most when I read the scripture. I want to just say, Nathaniel person, Jesus is like, hey man, you're a true Israelite. Come on, I know you. And, he, and Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before you were called by Philip and you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I think those words are encouraging for the rest of us. Maybe you're sitting out there this morning. Maybe you're in a mess. Your life's in a mess. And you just wonder half the time, where is God in the midst of all this? Jesus is saying, I know you. Come. Won't you come? Let me make a difference in your life. You'd be surprised what God can do. How do you know me? We don't think about before we get saved that he's known us all along. He's known us since before we were born. We talked about that last week. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I had a plan for your life. But there are some children that will reject him and end up going to an eternal damnation, which we're not going to head into now. But I want you to understand, as words of encouragement out there, whatever mess you're setting in right now, God hears your call. He hears your cry. He's known you since before. He's waiting on you to come and try to build that relationship with him so that he can truly make a difference in your life and in your family's life. But the fifth point and final point is discipleship is about training, which is what we've been talking about all along. Discipleship is about training. What did he say to Philip? He said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? But he said, you will see greater things than these. I think of people, and I've, I've been there when prophets are in the house. Yes, we believe in the five-fold ministry. We believe they're all still in play here at Next Level Freedom Church. And when a prophet comes to someone and they speak something to them, they don't have a clue who they are or anything about their life. And the person just breaks down in tears. It's kind of that moment of, how did you know? How did you know? Jesus is saying, Hey, because I revealed to you through the prophet or because I told you this way, you believe. But guess what? I want to do greater things with your life. I want to do better things. But you first got to come. You've got to surrender. You've got to come and become one of my children. Let me guide you. But then he went on in verse 51 to say, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. So when Jesus is answering uh, Nathaniel here, he's saying that, you know what? I got to train you. But once we get here, you're going to help me make a difference in the entire world. Let's read Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It says, you have been Christians for a long time now. And you ought to be teaching others, but instead you have dropped back to the place where you need someone to teach you all over again the first principles of God's word. You are like babies who can drink only milk, not old, not old enough for solid food. And when a person is still living on milk, it shows that he isn't very far along in the Christian life and doesn't know much about the difference between right and wrong. He is still a baby Christian. We see them in churches all the time. Those people, see, we've got these five layers which we're not going to go into, but the crowd, there's the people that aren't members, the people that are coming from outside of these churches. They always got their hands out. They always want something. 
And you know, I helped a poor girl one night. She, she was pregnant. She was wandering the streets. And I took her to a hotel. I got her a room. And I let her stay for the night. But the one thing she said to me is, there is so much poverty. There's no way you can make a difference in all of it. Because apparently she knew other people that were in her situation. But I made a difference in her life that night. She said she actually saw me the next day. I was at Lifeway. She came in there and she's like, thank you so much. I've got the best night's sleep that I've had in a long time. Because you were willing to put me up last night. That's what it's about. Making a difference in other people's lives. Our vision statement. Reaching others where they're at. If we're not doing that, then what's the point? If we're not helping people, then what's the point? It's true. It's kind of like a little boy who was casting starfish on the beach. I know some of you all probably heard the story. But a little boy walked out on the beach and all these starfish had washed up on shore. And he picked one up and he threw it out. He said, oh, that felt pretty good. So he went ahead and started throwing. And he ended up going down the line. He was throwing starfish. And this old man comes up to him and he says, you know what? You're never going to be able to get all those starfish, sir. You're never going to be able to make a difference in all these starfish's life. So what are you doing? And the little boy looked up at him and said, no, but I made a difference in this one. Threw it into the sea. It's not about us doing everything for the world because it isn't a mess. But when God speaks to us about something, it's about us doing our part to make a difference. And when he was getting out of the description, the reason we say discipleship is about training is once you get saved and baptized, you can't hang there. You don't get your fire insurance and you're good. You've got to grow. You've got to start studying. If you're staying there, you're never going to go anywhere. You've got to grow. And that starts with you. You've got to be willing to read your Bible, study your word, pray, get that relationship being built up with God before God's going to be able to do much with you. Now say like this, Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says, Then we will no longer be like children. Forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different and has cleverly lied to us and made the lies sound like the truth. Verse 15 says, Instead, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You can always tell a baby Christian. Because what happens is, maybe a false prophet comes along and starts teaching a false doctrine. Well, they just accept it as truth because, well, they don't know anybody. That's why we need to be studying. Timothy says we need to study to show ourselves approved as a workman. For God, we've got to be able to study and understand so that when these people come along that are trying to toss you all kinds of different directions, you're not going to be like a child changing your mind because you heard something even better and they were clever enough to disguise that lie really well and you just bought into it. If you're studying and you're understanding and you're discipling, discipleship, then you're going to know when those things come. And then it says in verse 15, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, so that we become more and more in every way like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. I got one more scripture I want to throw out there. We're getting ready to wrap this thing up. We talked, we talked a little bit about You've been born again, you get baptized, you got to study, you got to be a disciple. Because check out what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. God's worried about where you're headed. All things have passed away. 
Behold, all things have become new. Well, if I do that, I'm not going to be able to go out and party and get drunk and all this stuff. Yeah, you're going to have to give some things up. But you know what? If you begin to read the laws that God has in his word, you begin to understand that those laws aren't there to keep you from having fun. Those laws are there to protect you. Because God knows when you try to do all this stuff that you've got no business doing, he knows where it's headed. We said it, I said it on Unified, our show online. Since fun for a short time, but eventually it always costs you something. So we've got to be able to guard ourselves. Let me just tell you, can I say that I've never had more fun in life since becoming a Christian? Yeah, I had to get some things up. I had a bad mouth, I had language, I had some lying issues, all this stuff. But you know, all that stuff didn't lead me anywhere in life. So thank God he came and made all things new. So yeah, you give some stuff up, but in the end, God's going to prosper you. And we're going to talk a little about prosperity next month. It's one of those words people look at as a dirty word sometimes. We're going to get into it. I'm not going to do it now. But God wants to see you prosper. He says he wants to see you prosper as your soul prospers. But his word says, Linda, you can come and play. I want to talk to you for just a second. I always like to wrap up messages by giving people an opportunity to accept Christ. If you're sitting out there today, whether you're here or online, and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's like I say every week, that's where it starts. You want your relationship to go somewhere with God? That's where it starts. Salvation. He wants to see you become one of his children first. He's going to help the mess. You don't have to get everything cleaned up before you get saved. Because you're never, if you say that, it's never going to happen. Because your life is never going to be in order. Life's always got curveballs as one to throw at us. But what he expects is you to come just as you are in whatever situation you're in and accept him. Really, to accept Christ is really a simple prayer. The Bible talks about repenting, which means make a 180, which totally means turn and go a different direction. We talked a little bit last week about a light at the end of the tunnel. Or one of the previous messages. I'm not sure it was last week. But it's turning and heading in a direction that God would have for your life. It's not about sitting in this mess and complaining about it, because that's what, you, that's what leads to bitterness. Nobody likes a bitter person. They're always mad about something. That bitterness begins because you didn't do anything to fix it. <clears throat> if you say, just say a simple prayer, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death, that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart, be Lord of my life. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Forgive me of all my sins. In your name I pray. Amen. You said that simple prayer, you made it from the bottom of your heart. It's not even about the words that are used there. The Bible says if you believe Jesus died and he rose again, you shall be saved really about you calling to God to begin that relationship. But if that's the first time you've ever accepted Christ, I want to say congratulations. I want to know about it. If you're online, go to our contact page on our website. There's a little box where you can just type me a message. Just let me know you accepted Christ and it sends it right to my email, which is at yahoo.com. It sends it right to me. 
How would I know that? Your next step is to be baptized. You need to become a part of a fellowship. So you get baptized, then you become a part of a fellowship or a church. If it's going to be this church, then the next step is growth track. We go through a few classes. We teach you the basics. We teach you the vision of this house and how to go deeper with God. But if you're tuning online, I want to say thanks for tuning in. Next week, we're going to be beginning a brand new series called More. And we're going to be talking about how we can just tap into that other kingdom that the Bible's always talking about. We're going to just show you four ways over the four weeks' time. We're going to show you four ways that you can tap into that kingdom of God. So I hope you'll tune in. Until then, this is Drake Bruce saying God.